Hey everyone, welcome to the Two Quarterbacks, One Team Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Josh Berger, joined as always with Josh Lake, and today we have a very special guest, Anthony Amico, joining us today. You can follow him on Twitter, at A-M-I-C-S-T-A. He is a contributor to Rotoviz, written a lot of stuff recently, in spite of the fact that he is actually a recently married man, which is, Anthony, I have to say, that's pretty impressive, being able to juggle those two things at the same time. With no further ado, Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. That's a real pleasure. Now, Anthony, I'd love to hear a little bit about you as far as how you got into two quarterback and super flex leagues. I mean, we've seen some of your articles on. We're going to talk more about those. But how did you end up actually starting the 2QB super flex uh, addiction? Well, when I was growing up in my hometown, uh, Lindenhurst in New York, we didn't have a lot of guys in our fantasy league. I had between six and eight fluctuating every year growing up. So as a result, we kind of made it a 2QB league in order to you know, have enough quarterbacks that we could play and just make the league a little bit more fun. So I learned a lot early on like while I was learning about fantasy, about 2QB fantasy, and now I'm in one 2QB dynasty league, and I just did the Scott Fishbowl Draft Masters, which was a lot of fun. How did your team turn out? I saw kind of the early rounds, but I didn't see the finished product. It came out okay. I think I, I ended up shirking receiver a little bit too much. I was really just banking on being able to take a lot of volume at receiver and hopefully just getting enough startable weeks. But my last few receivers ended up being pretty bad. I have like Kenny Britt, Danny Amendola. So I'm really reaching at the end. But I think overall it, it's a pretty decent squad. No, this is the Kenny Britt year. <laughs> this is it. No, it's always the Kenny Britt year. <laughs> He'll be retired and we'll be talking about a comeback. Half a decade in the making. Anthony, I'm curious, do you have a general philosophy for when you tend to take quarterbacks in your 2QB formats or Superflex? A mode that you tend to go to more, most naturally? I'm usually a late quarterback guy, both in you know standard one-quarterback leagues, but I think also in 2QB, I did one mock that Josh was setting up. I took Andrew Luck with my first pick, but that was just because he was there and I was picking third, and I feel like you can't really pass on Luck in 2QB. But in general, I think you can still wait on quarterback in most formats, and I think you can still pretty much estimate the value of a high-end quarterback, whether it be as a second QB in a two-QB league or as your starter in a one-QB league. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, particularly if you're not going to take one of the uh, super elite guys like Luck. But uh, it, it's a relatively rare philosophy I tend to find, especially off Twitter, um, whenever you're actually getting into the most of the two-QB draft leagues. Now, transitioning over, it's been two weeks since we've recorded and there's been some recent news about Des Bryant and Demarius Thomas with their contract situations. Both of them have signed some pretty substantial contracts, though I don't think anything that really was uh, super record-breaking, five years, $70 million. I mostly like to focus on the projections for Demarius Thomas with Denver. Anthony, you've written a bit about this. How do you feel like Demarius Thomas's contract ends up affecting Peyton Manning and uh, your call with him, if I'm not mistaken, as uh, Manning being kind of your QB3 this year? Yeah, I think the whole Broncos offense right now is being a little underrated from top to bottom. I know we've written a lot about C.J. Anderson over at Rotoviz. Uh, Justin Wynn wrote a really nice piece about how you know, Peyton Manning's not dead as a top five quarterback, and I really agree. If you look back at Manning's history, it, it really seems like most of his offenses have a lot of similar traits. Obviously, we know he gets to the line, he does his thing, but just in terms of tempo, in terms of run-pass split, those kinds of things, they seem to follow more with Manning 
than with the offensive coordinator's tendencies. So I think the part about Kubiak not really having that many elite quarterbacks is a little overrated when we consider that he has Peyton Manning. So pretty much I went back to the projection machine, which is one of the awesome tools we have at Rotoviz, and I used a lot of the baselines from Peyton Manning seasons as well as Gary Kubiak seasons to formulate what I thought was a pretty good set of projections for the Broncos. And Manning, uh, like Lake was saying, came out as my QB3. Demarius Thomas came out as a top five wide receiver. And I think that that's pretty much what you can expect this season. I'm definitely on board with that, that I think the demise of the Broncos offense is a little overstated. I think it, it potentially could start off a little shaky as the line has had quite a bit of transition and the offense as a whole is transitioning to a new system, but I don't see a reason to think long-term there's a problem. One of the things that I, I think is interesting is over at Roto World, um, I think it was last year that Jonathan Bales had an article about what happens after players sign a contract, um, because we always hear the narrative that if you're in a contract year, you'll play better, and that doesn't have a lot of validity. What, what he found is that wide receivers who sign new contracts tend to regress pretty hard in their next two years. Um, I think it was over 80% of wide receivers regress after signing. And he made the point that it could work in multiple ways. It could be causation, that they don't have as much motivation. It could be kind of the tail wagging the dog, that they get paid after a great season, so they're bound to naturally come down from that a little bit. But I do think it's just an interesting point when you're talking about over 80% have a worse two years following a contract than they did the two years before. I don't think it's a concern. I'm not ranking them lower, but it is something where it'll be interesting to see if that's pan, if that pans out with two elite guys who are still very young and definitely are in the prime of their career. Absolutely. Is it weird, though, that I feel a little more worried about Dez than I do Demarius? Like, I don't mean to hold things against Dez, but I just kind of feel like he's the guy that would be like, well, I got paid, now I can kind of do my thing, and he hasn't really seemed like the kind of guy that cares a lot of people think. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Yeah, it seems to kind of cut both ways. Like, sometimes that's a good thing where he just goes out and dominates the competition. Uh, It also could mean that he just slacks off some games. But I I love the competitive edge and think he is – he is such a central focus of that offense, but it is kind of concerning how his targets decreased. He wasn't nearly as important a piece of that offense as the season progressed, that his back half of the season, his targets were pretty low, whereas Demarius doesn't have that same problem. So I could see that. I love Dez. I love the red zone efficiency that he has, but the volume is there for Demarius. Yeah, it absolutely is. One concern I do tend to have with Peyton, and we talked about this a little bit, so we'll keep it pretty short, but is the fact that he does tend to, during the playoffs, not be nearly as productive from a fantasy perspective. Has that been your experience as well, Anthony, or do you actually feel like his production has been about the same in November, December time, whenever the fantasy playoffs are going on? I tend to agree a little bit. We know that Manning traditionally doesn't really perform well in colder weather, and every now and then, when he's, especially when he was with those Colts teams and they had those undefeated starts, every now and then we'd see him sitting out week 16, which is obviously fantasy championship week. But I still don't think that that's a reason to not draft him just because I'd rather Peyton get me there and then I'll worry about finding a quarterback if I think I need one than I would 
taking someone that I think is going to be less good over the length of the season just because I want those last couple weeks. And Manning, I think the recency bias on Peyton is the biggest thing because he was still really awesome for the first 11 games. It wasn't like he was... Oh, he was incredible. He was still, yeah, he was still what we saw from him two years ago. So if you believe that he was hurt, which I think at this point most people do, there's really no reason to expect him to be significantly worse than he was when he was playing well last year. I tend to agree. I have him ranked as number four with just uh, a hair behind Russell Wilson, who I have some crazy love for with the Jimmy Graham edition. Speaking of another quarterback, though, let's transition to some of the guys that more are our specialty, and that's a, a guy that is not nearly as good as Peyton Manning with Carson Palmer. Now, recently he's come out and said that he is not thinking at all about a surgically repaired knee, that he feels like he's good to go, and that the knee will no longer be really any concern at all. Anthony, for you, how do you feel about Carson Palmer and really the Cardinals' offense overall this year? I like Palmer quite a bit. I'm working on a series over at Rotoviz where I give my 24 championship building blocks for this season, and Palmer came in at 24. He's one of the four quarterbacks that I put on the list, and I just really trust what Palmer has going for him. I know that in the beginning of the year, last year, he kind of stat-padded against weak defenses, but I also think that the addition of John Brown was a pretty big help to him and the entire offense. So you're getting a player that's probably a fringe QB1 in a week-to-week setting, and you can have him right now as a mid-to-late QB2. He's going off the board as quarterback 19 right now. So I'm kind of all in on Palmer. I'm willing to spend on him. Yeah, that's incredible value. Lake, for you, I'd be curious as to your thoughts. You've written a lot about Palmer in the past. What do you think he's going to do this year? I agree with Anthony that I will be drafting him and have been drafting him in a whole lot of leagues. That quarterback 19 is primarily the injury discount because everything about his weekly numbers and his rates suggests that he can do much better than 19th. Rich Rebar has been having some great fantasy football outlooks over at thefakefootball.com. And one of the things he pointed out about Carson Palmer is that if you look at just the game, like the, the rates per game, that Palmer finished 10th in points per game, 8th in points per attempt, 8th in adjusted yards per attempt, all of these rates that suggest he'd be a QB1 if he was healthy, and he's being drafted at the tail end of the QB2 range. So even if he does miss games, kind of the point that Anthony made about Peyton Manning, you can deal with that later. You shouldn't be avoiding someone just because you're a little worried at this point, he's healthy, he's practicing, there's no reason to think that he's coming in injured or slowed down in any way. So I think he's a great value where he's going. Yeah, I mean, if you can get QB1 numbers from him, even for the first half of the season where he's going now, that's an incredible steal. And I tend to agree. I also love some of the receivers he's throwing to, so it'll be fun. I'm hoping a lot of the people in our league's lake are not uh, listening to this podcast at this exact moment. Anthony, <laughs> for you... Carson Palmer is one of the main guys you're looking at. Who are some of the other late-round QB targets that you would encourage people to go for, specifically in MFL 10 drafts? Just a couple names that you really see as uh, some values in the late round. The two guys that I see that are going fairly late that I like a lot are Sam Bradford and Marcus Mariota. Uh, Bradford obviously has the pleasure of working with Chip Kelly and the Eagles, uh, an offense that made Nick Foles a top-five quarterback on a points-per-game basis two years ago. I think that If you're talking about draft pedigree, Bradford is definitely somebody that we think is better than Foles. So if he's fully healthy, I think that there's, I don't want to say an unlimited ceiling, but a pretty high ceiling on Bradford, especially considering a QB 18 price tag. 
Uh, Sean Siegel just wrote an awesome piece about him where he kind of looked through a bunch of different ways in which Bradford could have a high touchdown total this year. It really makes a lot of sense when you consider all the weapons that they have and kind of the trends of the offense. And the deal with Mariota for me is just you're getting the rookie QB discount and you're getting all of his rushing yards that I think will come at a discount. Quarterback 23 off the board just seems really low for me right now. The four quarterbacks that he ranked as most comparable to in our box, box score scout app on Rotoviz were Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, RG3, and Geno Smith. And those quarterbacks combined for a QB 11 finish on average in their rookie seasons. So even if he isn't quite as good as those guys, I think there's a pretty decent chance that he's a QB 1 or at least a high-end QB 2, and you're getting him at bare-bones prices at QB 23. Now let me push back a little bit on that because while I like Marcus Mariota's potential as a rookie, I mean saying high end QB two, I mean that's saying guys like Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford, Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, who a lot of people are high on, all those guys are kind of in that range generally based on ADP. Do you think that Mariota, as a rookie with maybe not the best targets out there, can really compete with that level of uh, ability? I do. I think that. The rushing numbers especially are kind of a big boon for him. I know at the site we have him projected for about 400 rushing yards, but I think that he could do even better in the 500 or 600-yard range. Uh, I, I really don't think that there's that much that separates him as a talent from a guy like an RG3. Uh, obviously, Griffin is probably a little bit better of an athlete, but by all accounts, Mariota looks like an excellent passer. And the weapons in Tennessee, I think, are probably a little underrated as well. Kendall Wright has quietly been, I think, a pretty efficient target in his young career. Uh, obviously, Doriel Green-Beckham is a guy that we think has a high ceiling, but also a pretty low floor. Bishop Sankey is a pretty good pass-catching back, in my opinion. So I think that the weapons are a little bit better there. But really the most important thing for me with Mariota is that the coach seems as if he's willing to use him to play to his strengths. He, Ken Wisenhut came out and talked about how they plan on using him a little bit like the Seahawks use Russell Wilson, and that's just music to my ears as a fantasy owner. Yeah, that's a good point. Any comments you'd like to add, Lake? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see as far as the rushing yards. Um, we'll be talking about Griffin more later in the podcast, but his rookie year, remember, he he had more than 800 yards and had seven rushing touchdowns. Yeah, that's and incredible. Like Anthony said, even if he's not at that level, you can still fall quite a bit of a ways from there before you're getting to 400 yards. So it very it is very possible that he has quite a bit of rushing totals. I'm more hesitant on the, the pass game. Justin Hunter, we don't know what's going to happen with the legal trouble if he's going to be on the field. Uh, just, I can't remember if it was today or yesterday, we're hearing that the team doesn't want to really overtax DGB's mind, so they're going to keep things real simple for him. I think it could be a bit of a difficult time for Mariota in the passing game, but if they really do transition him in quickly and have a system that he's used to and comfortable in and kind of adapt to his strengths, that it, there's definitely potential there. And like Anthony pointed out, the price is pretty cheap. Yeah, I, I got to say, the way that they were talking about DGB reminded me a bit of Vince Young in the playbook they were trying to to give him, and that did that did not go well. A completely different system, but in Tennessee, it just brought back some very bad memories from early fantasy days for me. Well, let me ask you this, Lake. 
one of the questions you actually got in the mail on Twitter was about Ben Roethlisberger, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that um, with Ben Roethlisberger. And the question, if I understood it correctly, was kind of, what is the big thing that's holding back Ben Roethlisberger from getting to actual Drew Brees territory this year? With everything going with all the changes on both teams, you've had a chance to think about it. Well, do you feel like it, he, that uh, Roethlisberger actually could make it to Brees territory? Yeah, I thought it was a pretty interesting question. It was Kevin Gaddy on Twitter. I'm hope, hopefully pronouncing his last name right. But his his question essentially boiled down to if the Saints offense is on the decline as far as the passing game goes, and there's obviously room to question that, um, and if the Steelers is moving up, which it seemed to last year, and they were already kind of close together in terms of volume and efficiency, what's to keep Roethlisberger from passing Breeze? And so I think the the first answer is just history, that part of what you're paying for with Breeze and have paid for over the years is you know he's elite, you know what you're going to get, and he's proven that he's going to be at the top tier year in and year out. Um, Roethlisberger had a really big jump last season, and so one of the questions is how much is baked in just looking at last season and how much are we thinking what he is like consistently over his career. Remember, so much of his production last season came from that short stretch where he had the massive touchdown game, and uh, that made up a lot of his touchdown uh, totals. So just looking at last season, he averaged uh, 40, 48 more yards per game. He averaged nearly a quarter more touchdowns per game. His adjusted yards per attempt went up a lot last season. His average, his um, completion percentage went up. So it's a question of, is that sustainable or was it more an exception? And so with Breeze, you know pretty well what you're going to get from him. It's the team around him that we're not sure about. For Roethlisberger, I think it's just a question of how you believe which narrative you're buying into. Do you think that that's who he is going forward? And there isn't a lot changing. Um, Pro Football Focus last year ranked the Steelers as having the fifth best pass-blocking offense. Um, I think there's a lot to like there. You've got Le'Veon Bell out the first two weeks, so they're likely to be pass-heavy is at least the narrative, and so it'll be off to a good start. And I do think that he's got a lot of pieces there to like Martavis Bryant going into another year. Um, Sammy Coates, if he can play any role at all. So I think there's definitely a narrative to build, and there's good weapons there. And I think it's very close. For me, I have them ranked very close right now. I've got Breeze at QB4 and Roethlisberger at QB6, which I think is high. Uh, I'm not willing to do it. Essentially what I'm saying is because I'm not sure. Um, With Breeze, I think we know what we're getting. Uh, That's a good point. Anthony, anything you'd like to add about Breezer Roethlisberger before we transition over to our QB rap battle for the day? Yeah, definitely. I I agree with you, though, Lake. I like Roethlisberger quite a bit. He comes in as my quarterback five this year. I just really believe what they did last year as an offense. You mentioned, obviously, all the improvements that he had in efficiency, the pass blocking, but the addition of Martavis Bryant, I think, was also a really big part of that. And he might have been the missing piece for that offense. They really had a struggle finding receivers to play with Antonio Brown. They went through Marcus Wheaton, Derek Cotri they had for a while. He was pretty efficient as a stealer, not that efficient since. So I feel like Roethlisberger's kind of made the most of what he's had. And now they have Bryant, and they just drafted Sammy Coates who can play behind him. So I think that the Steeler offense is kind of primed to keep it up. Obviously, you mentioned that Le'Veon Bell is out, so 
even if he only misses two games, that's two games that Roethlisberger could put up big fantasy numbers, and maybe even you could sell him high if you don't believe in him. But moreover, with Breeze, last year as a team, the Saints were undefeated in games where he attempted less than 35 passes. So I think that kind of builds into the narrative that they're going to look to run the ball a little bit more this year because it makes them a little bit more successful as an offense. That's a good stat. I actually hadn't seen that before. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and transition for tonight over to our QB rap battle. Now, for those of you that are new listening to the podcast, this is our third week of doing this segment, and the QB rap battle is basically where each week we have our guest, in this case Anthony, and Josh Lake will be hosting for us, and we're going to talk about two mediocre or bad quarterbacks, and we're going to go head-to-head, argue the merits, and at the end, the three of us will vote to decide which one will be drafted higher in our three uh, two QB leagues. So ultimate goal for us is to really try to kind of put head-to-head in real-world scenarios of if you are in a draft, would you end up taking Geno Smith or RG3 as your QB2 or QB3? So, Anthony, let's go ahead and start with you. You are backing Geno Smith and Ryan Fitzpatrick as the guy that you would take over RG3. Go ahead. Let's hear your argument. I think, first of all, that it's probably going to be mostly Geno Smith. But with respect, so with respect to just Geno to start, he's been outstanding in his first two seasons as a quarterback in wins. In the 11 games that he's won as a quarterback with the Jets, he's averaged 20.46 fantasy points per game in four point uh, for passing touchdowns. That's good enough to be QB five from last year in points per game. So while he's been disastrous in wins, he does look like the kind of player that in wins can give not just passable fantasy scores, but elite level fantasy output. Wow. I did not realize he had been that high. Now, do you believe that the job is his completely, or is there still some margin that needs to be taken for Ryan Fitzpatrick? Is this a quarterback battle we're talking about just with the Jets? It's funny because when the offseason first started, I wrote a piece on Rotoviz arguing for Ryan Fitzpatrick because I thought the connection with Chan Galley would give him a pretty good chance to be the starter. But all the reports lately out of Jets camp have been that Gino will – get the first crack and probably a significant portion of the season to see if he can be the team's quarterback for this year and the future. So I'm not sure that Fitzpatrick will get any kind of immediate opportunity there. I'll be interesting to see. All right, now let's go ahead and transition over to Lake, and I would love to hear from you as a Redskins fan a unbiased, objective account for RG3 <laughs> and why I should take him over Geno Smith. Well, because Anthony led or followed up at least with talking about who the starter was and what the likelihood of a quarterback battle was. I'll start there as well. That one thing that's different this year than last, and it's the second year that Jay Gruden has been the coach there, is that this year the coaching staff is coming out fully in support of RG3. Um, You'll remember that last offseason there was a disgusting number of leaks to the media about how badly RG3 was doing, about how his mind wasn't in the game, about how they couldn't trust him with the offense. This year, it's been different that they've come out in support of him. They've said, no, there's not a quarterback battle. Even uh, just this week, Colt McCoy was asked, after saying he thinks he has what it takes to be a starter in the NFL, he was asked, do you think you have a chance at starting in week one? He said, no, I think this is pretty clearly Robert's 
Robert's team. Hmm. And so that alone gives you some reason to hope this is a different season than, than last because RG3's job is a little more secure. And then beyond that, just looking at very initial training camp, mini camp, we don't have a lot of news, but the earliest news, and Rotopat tweeted this out earlier today, but the way it started is that Kirk Cousins had an interception over the middle. There wasn't even a receiver in the area. No one knew who he was throwing to. And then on a later play, he fumbled the ball while dropping back to pass. Uh, Colt McCoy had a pass batted down at the line. It's not like the players behind RG3 are these very inspiring talents that are likely to make the coaches think, you know, we need to give them a shot over our first-round pick, the guy that we just picked up an option for. I don't think that there's nearly the risk of RG3 being benched early that there was last season. And so I think you have at least consistency to begin the year that you can trust he will be starting at least for the first half of the season. Anthony, would you care to counter either talking up Gino or actually uh, talking down RG3 a little bit? Love to hear your thoughts. Oh, well, I always tend to make my arguments for my guy rather than against Lakes. And I do have a, a secret <laughs> secret man crush on RG3 since his rookie year. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just stick with my guys. Uh, but my next big point on Gino or Fitzpatrick is my man, Chan Gailey, being the head coach and offensive coordinator there. Oh, I'm sorry, offensive coordinator there. Todd Bowles, the head coach. Chan Gailey has pretty much taken no names at quarterbacks and made them significant. His biggest two projects with his last two coaching stops in Buffalo and Kansas City were Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tyler Thigpen, both were seventh-round draft selections. With those two quarterbacks over a four-year time frame, he averaged those two quarterbacks to be QB 18 from last year, if you were to compare the numbers, uh, which isn't obviously exceptional. They're not QB1 numbers, but they're both, but they are numbers that are a significant upgrade over Smith's QB29 ADP. Uh, Fitzpatrick obviously going even later than that. So if Galey can continue to do what he's done with seventh round picks with Smith, who I hope we don't forget was a second round draft pick a couple of years ago, I think the results could be even better. We know that Galey has been able to get the most out of his quarterback's legs. His quarterbacks have averaged over 16 games, almost 300 yards rushing. And Geno Smith is probably the most talented runner out of the group. So I think that that gives him an even higher ceiling than what we've seen from Galey in the past. Hmm. So with the additions that the Jets have made, you're not worried about any uh, really Fitzpatrick taking over. It does seem like Chan Galey is set up to really have at least an above average year, and it's been relatively quiet from the Jets. Best case scenario, Geno plays all 16 games. Where would you project, Anthony, that he finishes at the end of the season? Wow. Well, I guess I'd have to factor in that the Jets are going to lose some games. I like the fact that in Vegas they're projected to win 7.5 and, and the over's favored. So if the Jets even go 8-8, eight and eight, I feel like Geno can put together a pretty good season. I would say uh, if he starts all 16 games, I, would, I think QB 16 is probably reasonable. Okay. Like, same question to you. If RG3 actually does start all 16 games, where, where would you project best-case scenario he ends up finishing? If RG3 makes it through as the starter for all 16 weeks, I think he has very high upside. 
because if he makes it through 16 weeks, it means he wasn't injured, and it means he was playing far better than he did last year, getting back to his his first or second year type numbers. And so with that assumption built in that he plays all 16, I think it's a very high upside. I think you're looking at the possibility, and I think this is one of the strongest arguments in his favor, is that I think you're looking at the possibility of flirting with the top 10 if he plays all 16 games. Because in order to get to those 16, I think he's doing pretty well. And I think that he has the weapons on the team that he needs to have that sort of a season. We saw last year and in seasons past that Deshaun Jackson provides an explosive element. Um, Deshaun Jackson is uh, Robert Griffin's second best wide receiver in his career in terms of adjusted yards per attempt. Additionally, Jordan Reed is also on that list as far as the best targets. And the good news this week is that Jordan Reed, who we've all known has great potential, but he hasn't been able to stay on the field. Whatever injuries it's been, he continues to leave the field. But the news this week was that what was thought to be getting his knee scoped earlier in the summer was actually just getting a stem cell shot. And so he's a full go for camp. And if he can stay healthy and they can keep Deshaun Jackson at his levels from last season, get Garcon to have a little more production. Um, Alfred Morris has proven to be a reliable runner. And Jay Gruden has built, I mean, he built Andy Dalton up to be a pretty decent quarterback to everyone's surprise. I think that there are the pieces there that can support RG3 getting near the top 10 if he gets those 16 starts. Yeah, I mean, no one questions RG3's upside if he's able to do it, for sure. To me, it seems like both of them are great values. I mean, Geno Smith right now, at least according to two sources, is going more as a low-end QB3, which is just insane to me, especially with the Changeli offense. Let's go ahead and say this, and I'll start it with you, Anthony. Bottom line, you're drafting. Which one would you take in a vacuum? Would you take Geno Smith or RG3? Love to hear your vote. Oh, you know I'm taking Geno. All right. Lake, who are you taking when it comes down to it? I'd take RG3 because I do I think I would agree with what Anthony said. I think Gino's going to get a real shot this year and has some very interesting upside at his price, but in a vacuum just picking one over the other, I like RG3. Yeah, I must say I'm really torn on this. I guess it, the uh, deciding vote will come down to me. If RG3 I knew was playing even 15 games, I would go with him, but in a vacuum not knowing the rest of my team, I- I'm going to give the deciding vote to Gino just because I believe that he does have a lot of consistency. The talent around him is much better than last year, and I think that they do have a good chance of uh, actually putting up about an 8-8 eight eight season. So, Anthony, you have convinced me. Gino goes on in this QB rap battle. Congratulations, sir. Yes. Do we have, like, <laughs> confetti? Is confetti going to drop in my room It's right falling now? down. Yeah. And is it not there where you are? It's all, all around my computer. Yeah. Now. All, all, all <laughs> here. I think we mixed that up. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll fax it to you, so we'll be good on that. <laughs> well, everyone, thank you all for listening. As always, I'm Josh Berger. You can follow me on Twitter at Burger2QBs, our special guest, Anthony Amico, and you can follow him on Twitter as well at A-M-I-C-S-T-A and Josh Lake at Lake2QBs. We'll also be putting out some new articles and everything. Um, Lake, anything coming from you in the next few days? I know you have mentioned a couple things on the horizon. I'm still working on articles. I don't know of any that are coming out in the next couple of days here in the near future. Um, Starting Monday, we're going to have five different mock drafts going with the hope of by the first weekend in August, we'll get some ADP out so that anyone with early drafts has that to go off of. And then 
our rankings as well and auction values should be coming out here in the near future. Yeah, auction values should be coming out from me uh, beginning to middle of next week. And then we'll also be doing our uh, QB rankings as well as our cheat sheet that'll be coming out about a week, week and a half from now. So a lot of good stuff coming up. It's, it's actually starting to feel like it's football season. I can hardly wait. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. All right, everyone. Well, tune in next time, and we'll look forward to uh, you listening then. Take care.